Well, if you would uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings, and um, I was uh, reading through this the other day, and I got to the part about the fall of Judah in 586 B.C., and I want to take that. It's a pretty large portion of Scripture, so we'll kind of make a point and then read uh, what comes after that. But uh, I think whenever we look back at biblical history, well, the, you know, they were taken to captivity for 70 years. Now hang on and realize that there were things leading up to that that they had to endure. And then 70, 70 years, that is a long, long time. Some of the people that were middle-aged or older when Nebuchadnezzar came in and um, conquered Jerusalem, overthrew it, uh, they didn't live to ever see the deliverance from any of that. Some of them that were younger, like Daniel, Daniel was somewhere around 17 when he was taken into exile. And uh, so in, uh, you know, 70 years, he was well up into his 80s, and he was able to remember it and remember what life was like before and know what it was like to be in the captivity and then... Um, uh, afterwards, In fact, um, when you read in the Minor Prophets, when they were able to lay the foundation of the temple, the second temple, because Solomon's temple had been destroyed, it says that there were young people there that rejoiced because that's all they knew. All they had known is Babylonian, Babylonian captivity and no worship, no sacrifices or anything like that. So it was a joyous thing when they built back the foundation. But there were enough older people left that it says that they wept while the younger people were rejoicing because they remembered what the temple was like before and this new one was going to be nothing like the glory of Solomon's temple. And it was more than just old people saying, you know, back in my day, it was, it was legitimate. This temple was not going to be anything like Solomon's temple because... Judah was very, very poor. In fact, we're going to see that when Nebuchadnezzar uh, ravaged the land and took the treasure out of the land, he even took the brightest and best of the people and he only left the unskilled and the very poor to tend to the vineyards and the land and so things did not really go well. Now we're going to read about a king. The king is named Zedekiah. He is the last king of Judah. Uh, before the uh, exile. And uh, Zedekiah was a puppet king of Babylon. Uh, Babylon had come in and they had done some things and kind of asserted their control. And uh, they set up a guy as king. And uh, then he made his name Zedekiah. And then Zedekiah, the last verse of chapter 24, the last verse... The last phrase of that verse said that Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. And so the chapter 25 is the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar's response to all of that. Babylon and Egypt were kind of the two world superpowers. And uh, they were rivals for territory and land and power and war and all of that type of thing. Kind of like we've... Um, those of us who are baby boomers gr growing up in the Cold War between the Soviet Union and the United States, somebody's going to be dominant. 
They're, they're not going to just get along and be peaceful and all of that. Somebody's going to be in control. And Egypt is kind of uh, getting ready to go down. Babylon is coming up. Now, understand that back, um, oh, like when Habakkuk it receives the prophecy about Babylon, he is just astounded by it. And it's for a couple of reasons. Number one, because Babylon is more wicked than the Jewish people are. Lord, how does this make sense? You're going to use wickeder people. Does that make sense? Does that communicate? People that are more wicked than us to discipline us. And God basically says, you need to just leave that up to me. And uh, it's a beautiful thing when he says, though the fig tree should not blossom, though there be no fruit on the vines or cattle in the stalls, yet I will praise you. That's a statement of faith. I don't understand you, Lord, but I trust you. The other thing is that uh, not only was Babylon or Chaldeans, if you are using a King James Version, uh, same thing. Not only are they more wicked, but also it was kind of laughable. You, you, you would think about Babylon back in those days when Habakkuk was getting this prophecy. It was like, that's inconceivable. They were just a group of nomadic tribes. How in the world will they ever come and conquer a mighty kingdom uh, like the Jewish kingdom in Israel? It just seemed incomprehensible. It'd be like saying, get ready, Nicaragua is going to be the next world power or something like that. We would go, what, what, are, we, what are you talking about? Not even sure I can find that on a map. How are they going to take over a nation like ours? That's kind of the way they thought. But it happened. And it happened just the way God said it was going to. And it was a horrible time. There was a lot of death, a lot of destruction. It was the end of an era. They uh, tell us that for those people who are baby boomers and those of us who... Uh, uh, were a part of the Reagan revolution. They say that that all ended in about 2019. This is a new era. And we've got a lot of people who don't remember those times. They didn't grow up in that context. And uh, so they have no clue as to what is uh, happening. And they don't understand our framework. I speak as a baby boomer, kind of born near the tail end of it. And uh, they don't get it. They don't understand it. And our country is changing rapidly right before our eyes. Well, we can relate to a lot of what's happening here because this in Israel is the end of an era. Now, I remind you, we're going to be talking about Judah. Israel had uh, split into two nations, two kingdoms. The northern kingdom of Israel, ten tribes were in it. And the southern kingdom of Judah... And Judah was the dominant tribe, the main tribe. Benjamin was involved uh, with them as well, but they were pretty inconsequential. Even the word Jew comes from the term of the tribe of Judah. And uh, they called themselves Jews later on after the exile, but uh, that's where that uh, all comes from. Christ, of course, was born uh, of the tribe of Judah. And uh, interestingly enough, where it's Judah and Benjamin that made up the nation of Judah, Christ was born of the tribe of Judah. And guess what? The greatest apostle in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, was of the tribe of Benjamin. So it's just a little interesting thing there. And so uh, this is what happens when everything unravels and everything 
falls apart. And don't feel sorry for Zedekiah. He was not a good king. He was uh, very, very, very evil. And so um, let's... Uh, no, we're going to go ahead. Uh, I don't want to take the time. Go to 1 Kings 25 and let's go to uh, uh, verse 1 and read. I was going to back up a little bit, but yeah, we don't need to. Okay, first of all, in the anatomy of this overthrow, a downfall, or I, we could probably title this several different things. Now, number one, I want you to realize that the enemy exercises great patience. You know, we're such an impatient people. We want everything. We want it now. And um, I think all of us, uh, you know, from my age and on down, maybe people older than me are, are not quite to this point, but I, I know definitely that any of you who are raised in the 60s and 70s and 80s, you're, you're, we're all kind of like this. We got used to instant results. Instant results. Oh, my goodness. I can remember vaguely when you went to turn on a tv and you turned it on and went boom and nothing and you waited and you waited and you waited and then this line would go across and then everything would kind of come on you remember those days or you'd turn on a radio and kind of the same thing that uh, tubes remember replacing tubes and a tv and uh, different places where you go and buy tubes and tube testers where you take your tubes out of your TV and go in and plug it in at a store and see whether the tube was any good or not so you knew what to replace. That, boy, that's, that's like horse and buggy stuff, isn't it? And uh, when it became solid state, then that was, that was kind of what a lot of us cut our teeth on. You turn it on and, man, it's on. Solid state, ready to go, ready to go with that. And so we like everything instant. Uh, it was our generation that uh, we, we were the first to have a microwave. And I remember uh, Brother Steve Elkins saying years ago when we were working together with uh, teenagers, and he said, you know, the definition of impatience is when you have a microwave and you uh, put your hot dog in for 20 seconds and you get upset because you have to do 15 more before it's good and hot. That's kind of the way we are, just impatient. And so when we pray, we want answers now. And we want results now. When we do something, you know, helping somebody or good works, and some, we want to see results from all of that now and we want them to last. Well, the enemy doesn't think like that and the enemy doesn't work like that. The enemy will wait and wait and wait and wait and about the time we go huh I guess nothing's going to happen after all boom here they come and they know when to attack that's what happened with the nation of Judah as well as the northern kingdom of Israel all these prophets kept coming and oh yeah repent the end is near God's going to judge you same song second verse you know here we go again look at those crackpots man those people are just so weird and uh, you know they dress weird they act weird and, and you know who can believe any of those this is a modern age and a modern era but when it happened it did happen. The enemy took advantage of it, but they were very, very patient. Okay, let's begin reading. Now, it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, 
on the 10th day of the month. Boy, it's amazing how detailed they are on their calendar here. That Nebuchadnezzar, <coughs> king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem. And look at this. They encamped against it and they built a siege wall against it. Now, a siege wall means that they might have been built towers along the wall of Jerusalem that were taller than the Jerusalem wall so they could look down and they could be threatening and menacing. Or sometimes they would pile dirt up against the wall and make big ramps where they could go up and down any time they wanted to. And so the people of Jerusalem knew this. They saw it. They were experiencing this. And what Nebuchadnezzar would do was nothing in and nothing out. No food, nothing. Nothing in, nothing out. Okay? So, uh, verse 2, the city was besieged until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. Now, by the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Now, that is a verse that tells us about some of the stories we've heard about. You... Uh, Think about all of the times when they were so uh, hungry that people were even, there was even cannibalism taking place in the city. There was, there was nothing that they had to uh, eat. And so this goes on and you read it from the time frame there, about two to two and a half years. Can you imagine if somebody were to surround where we live and nothing comes in and nothing goes out for two and a half years that would be upsetting for several reasons uh, but nonetheless would be what are you going to eat how are you going to raise your own food what are you going to do for food and the people were literally starving to death in all of this and um, give them credit the Babylonians because once they besieged the city they were not an army who said, okay, now we did it. And if we don't conquer this city by Tuesday, I'm out. They didn't do that. They just sat. And they just waited. How boring was that? To besiege the city. There's no action. There's nothing going on. They're just there. And their duty is just to make sure nothing gets in. And we'll starve them out. And so for two and a half years, they wait. And they wait. And they wait over and over and over. But they don't leave. They don't go away. The mission is never uh, aborted. Nothing like that at all. They just wait. And I found out over my lifetime that the demons of hell and everything that they plan, uh, they are not pushing for everything to take place today and then they quit and go and uh, sit in a corner and suck their thumb and say, I guess we're whipped. They will wait Days, weeks, months, years, decades. I've known people that lived for God until they were up in their 60s and then they fell. You think the enemy wasn't behind that? Of course they were behind that. But they were patient. And they couldn't get them when they were 30. They couldn't get them when they were 40. They couldn't get them when they were 50. But now they get to a certain age where they ought to know better and maybe are a little bit lax because of their pride. And then wham, here they go. And great is their fall. 
But the same thing is true even when you think about what our country is facing. Uh, where did socialism come from? I thought we whipped that back when Reagan won the Cold War and that type of thing. Isn't that kind of what we thought? And so while we were just saying, oh, that's gone, the Soviet Union's gone, and we don't have to worry about that, we haven't been paying attention to what was going on in our colleges, in our universities, and in uh, other groups like that. In fact, to show you how patient the enemy is, the modern-day socialist movement here in America as its uh, founding back in Germany. Boy, Germany's caused a lot of trouble over the years, haven't they? From 1922. It's about 100 years, if my math is right, give or take, right? And uh, what did they do? There was a school in Frankfurt, and they espoused the teachings of Karl Marx and Engels, and uh, how they could implement it. And they were mainly a group of Jews that were in this think, uh, think tank. And so when the rise of Hitler came in 1933, these communists, these Marxists, these socialists had to run for their lives because most of them were Jews, strangely enough. You know where they went? They moved the Frankfurt School to none other than New York City in the United States. And they've been there ever since. And one of their goals, they were really disappointed that the uh, Bolshevik Revolution brought the first communist government to Russia. Russia, poor, backwards, and they really didn't want that. They really wanted it to happen in an elite, well-educated, wealthy type nation like Germany or something like that. But Hitler hated communists, and so they, were, they had to run for their lives. And so they set their sites on the overthrow of the United States. Isn't it interesting? We gave them sanctuary. We gave them protection. They come here and then they start plotting the overthrow of our government. And uh, over the years, they kind of had a spike around the Great Depression. There were people that were poor and hungry and they started looking to communism and socialism and it was a pretty burgeoning movement back in those days. But World War II did that in and the patriotism and, uh, uh, you know, the pro-American era and everything that came about kind of did away with it, but they didn't go away. And they waited until the 60s and unrest on college campuses and a lot of the songs that were written in those days kind of have socialist, communist roots that are going on behind them. And almost everybody in the entertainment business back then, as well as now, they were all leftists. And it's amazing that they come in a capitalist society, make millions of dollars, and then give money like Bill Gates does for the overthrow and the undoing of all of that and the move into socialism. That never made a whole lot of sense to me. But then again, when I look back on my life, we would stand in school, we would put our hands over our hearts, say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, and do the Pledge of Allegiance, and then sing Woody Guthrie's this land is your land, this land is my land. Woody Guthrie, I know he's an Okie like we are, but he was a communist. And that song was about communism and socialism, that you don't own anything, I don't own anything. This is your land, but it's also my land, and we'll just live together without any private property or anything like that, is what he believed. And that kind of stuff has been taking root. Now, it went out of fashion again at the end of the 70s, 
Uh, we were having high inflation and a tough economy and the end of the Vietnam War earlier in the decade. And a lot of things that we went through, the college campus unrest, the assassination of political leaders, those type of things. And everything kind of fell out of fashion, but it didn't go away. And during the late 70s and the 80s, when patriotism kind of came back and a free market economy kind of came back in style, that type of thing. They didn't go away. They just went underground. And their uh, strategy was, instead of marching in the streets, Americans don't like that anymore. And it's not effective anymore. And it's turning people against us. We will concentrate on this one thing. You know what it was? We'll put our people in the colleges and in the universities all across the nation. Nobody noticed. Nobody noticed. Oh, with few exceptions, like Angela Davis in uh, California and that type of thing, but nobody really noticed. And for decade after decade after decade, they've been doing this so that now our young people are hearing more about socialism than they are about capitalism or any of those kind of things. They're being taught that we're nothing but a racist nation. We were founded on all of that, that we're evil and that type of thing. And they are... Uh, highly disillusioned now I use all of that as an illustration of this if they had been like most Christians are that movement would have died out in 1923 but it didn't they stayed the course they were willing to give their lives for what they believed and some of them did and they were patient and patient. And they didn't have to see it in their lifetime. Because most of the people that were in that Frankfurt school in 1923, well, they're not alive today. But they have been working. And they have been working. And they have been working. And they have been planting seeds and planting seeds and planting seeds with the idea that the next generation would have the shade from that tree. Compare that to Christians who don't want to be inconvenienced and we give up if we don't see results immediately and we really are not thinking that much about the future. We're making it more about us and our needs and our wants and our desires. And of course we do that to our own detriment because the enemy is extremely, extremely patient. Okay, Let's go to the second thing that I see here is they wear you down until you lose the will to fight. Now notice what happened here. Zedekiah was bold enough to rebel against the king, but when push came to shove, look what, look what happens in verse 4. Then the city wall was broken through by the bad guys, and all the men of war, the Israelis, the, the Judah guys, they fled by night, by way of the gate between two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, were still encamped all around against the city. Let's make a run for it. Let's go now. They're here. And the, uh, the king went by the way of the plain. And here, here the king is. He's running. Boy, if your king is running... What hope do you have of really rallying the troops? Verse 5. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king, and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. So they took the king, and they brought him up to the king of Babylon, that'd be Nebuchadnezzar, at uh, Riblah, 
And they pronounced judgment on him. Now look at this. Talk about hard times. They killed, then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. And then they put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters, and took him to Babylon. Boy, that is rough. So the king runs for his life and ends up getting captured. Kind of ran into a trap. His army scattered. He has to watch his own children being executed before his eyes. And then his eyes are put out. Can you even begin to imagine what that must have been like? Can you even begin to imagine what that did to the morale of anybody that was willing to fight? Or anybody that was still in the city when they hear all of that? It's, uh, the enemy knows what they're doing. And so here it was, this was going so long that the very people who had been called to fight, these men of war, didn't fight. They couldn't see any hope. They couldn't see any way out except to run, to hide, to escape, to get away from all of it. And I think that we're seeing a lot of the same thing. There are so many things that if you go back maybe to the 1940s, even to the 1950s, the idea that you could use the language on public airwaves that they use now would have been unthinkable. The idea that television shows and movies could show the perversion and the ungodliness that we see now that we go, eh, that's just the way life is, and it is. But they couldn't have even fathomed anything like that. In fact, for most of us even... The idea of uh, uh, socialism kind of coming back into fashion and even the transgender movement, that kind of stuff is... I mean, we didn't even see that coming a few years ago. And you look at this type of thing and what has happened? We have accepted so many things that a generation or two before us would never, ever accept. And so we think about some of the things that come on the breakdown of the traditional family as we start thinking about um, defunding the police, as we think about the BLM movement, as we think about radical feminism, all of this kind of stuff, that we first were shocked by it, then it became kind of normalized in it, and then we became accepting of it. What are we going to do? We lose our will to fight. We lose our will to stand up. We're afraid to stand up. We might be ostracized. We might be canceled. It might cost us more. And so our nation and our culture just continues on the downward slide to hell. And what happens? We've lost the will to fight. And we don't want to stand up. Number three. They destroy the culture and the religion. Boy, there's been a big attack on both our culture. Think of all the statues that are torn down. Think about all of the things where history, revisionist history, we've been calling it for some time now, where we don't even know the truth, not even sure where we're going to find the truth about people and institutions and things. And the attack on even religious uh, institutions. Um, Folks, our Southern Baptist Convention, because of this stuff where we failed to report abuse and deal with those kind of things, uh, the Justice Department has said they are now investigating our denomination. Uh, you know, look at what happened with the Roman Catholic Church and all of that. There may be some things headed our way as Southern Baptists that we thought, oh, that'll never happen to us. Well, it, it is. 
And think about what happened during COVID when they were able to shut things down. I uh, remember having a conversation with Brother Dale when all of this started. And I said, on one hand, I see what they're doing. They, we don't really know what's going to happen with this. Let's kind of shut things down so that we don't spread it. I said, but my fear is once they ever get a taste of, whoa, we can do that. We can do that. We're in trouble next time they declare an emergency. Think about it. Because it's easy to shut things down, even churches, and uh, what's going to be the next emergency that comes along? Is it going to be a climate change? Are they going to come against anybody who uh, teaches that there's only one way to salvation? Will that be the next emergency? Anybody who stands up for traditional marriage and traditional biblical families, is that going to be an emergency? I don't know. But I do know this, it's kind of like giving an animal a taste of blood. Once they taste blood, it's really, really hard for them to go back. And so uh, that's what was happening here. And it says in verse 8, And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, ah, this guy's name always trips me up, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. And what did he do? Look at verse 9. He burned the house of the Lord. Why, why would that matter? I mean, if you don't believe in him, why do you care? And I, I find it so interesting that it's the people who say, there is no God, there is no Bible, there is no authority, and they're the ones that want to squelch us. I didn't think you believed in it. What, what's the deal? Why are we, and why is our Bible, and why is our church such a threat to people like you who believe that our God doesn't even exist. You know, it's amazing. So what does he do? He burned the Lord, the house of the Lord and the king's house. So there's the cultural, political part and the religious part that is being burned down, that is being destroyed here. And all the houses of Jerusalem, uh, that is all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. Okay, there's always that attack on the rich for some reason. And uh, that's what was happening here. Verse 10. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard uh, broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around. We're going to make sure you can't protect yourself and you can't defend yourself against any other Invaders. See, see what starts happening here? We've got to attack everything that's not us. Everything that we don't agree with. Everything that we are. And, and yet, <coughs> in our culture, they call us intolerant. Isn't that amazing? And yet, they're the ones that refuse to tolerate anything other than what they believe. And uh, we, we've seen this recently. We've seen this. Um, there were uh, scientists from people like uh, uh, places like Stanford and others who were very well respected until they didn't agree with the government on COVID policies. Then all of a sudden they're gone and they're persona non grata and things like that. I mean, it's, it's everything now that if you don't toe the line and if you don't go along with everything they say, then they say, we'll squish you like a bug and we want to do away with you. This is nothing new is what I'm saying to you. When Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun, man, was he ever right? Look at number four. 
They steal and they ravage. You see, they come across with this idea of saying, we're here for you, we're here to help the little guy. Yeah, the truth of the matter is they're not giving, they are taking. And you notice here that it says in verse 11, then that guy whose name is hard to pronounce, the captain of the guard carried away captive the rest of the people who remained in the city and the defectors who had deserted to the king of Babylon with the rest of the multitude. But the captain of the guard left some of the poor of the land as vine dressers and farmers. They weren't any threat and they couldn't do anything anyway. Verse 13. The bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord and the carts and the bronze sea, that's a great big basin, that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried their bronze to Babylon. You're not going to need this anymore. Just give it to us. We're the government. We know what to do. And so take, 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 and let us deal with it. It's, nothing's changed. Verse 14, they also took away the pots and the shovels and the trimmers, the spoons, and all the bronze utensils with which the priest ministered. The fire pans and the basins, all those things we studied about in Exodus and Solomon uh, redid those things for the temple. The things of solid gold and solid silver, the captain of the guard took away. The two pillars, uh, one sea, a basin in other words, and the carts which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of these articles was beyond measure. And then they give us explanation. The height of one pillar, one of those bronze pillars, was 18 cubits. I calculated that. That's about 27 feet tall. And the capital, the thing that fits on top of it, was uh, three cubits. That's four and a half feet. So do the math there at how tall those things were. And uh, the network and the uh, palm granites all around the capital uh, were all of bronze. And the second pillar was the same with a network. And so when you look at all of this and you see the Babylonians looked at that and said, Wow, what a treasure. We'll take this. You guys don't need it anymore. And it was an assault against the Lord and it was also an assault against the very wealth of the land and the culture of the land. And they were there to do nothing but ravage and destroy, to make themselves wealthy, to make themselves rich, and to make sure that the people of Judah remained very, very, very poor. And you think about how many people that they want to uh, tax you, they want to restrict you, and uh, tell you what you can drive, tell you what you can do. I got uh, tickled probably about 10, maybe a little bit longer than that, when Barbara Streisand, of all people, came out and said that we needed to use clotheslines instead of clothes dryers. Now, I just pictured Barbara Streisand out there with clothespins on her clothesline. See, they don't do that. And they'll restrict your travel while they travel in private jets. The hypocrisy is absolutely astounding because it's all about power. It's all about restriction. And at the same time, if they can get wealthy investing in some of these different companies that they are promoting for green energy. And by the way, I'm not against green energy if you can make it work. But you know what they do? They get rich off of all of that. And at the same time, they keep using 
fossil fuels. I mean, this is the kind of stuff you see. They're not giving. They are taking. And uh, we sometimes forget whenever the government says, we're going to put $20 trillion into this. I know it's not that much, but it's getting there. That, they don't have any money, folks. That money is yours. That money comes from taxes. And we forget that sometimes. So uh, uh, Reagan said, it made me think of one of his quotes. He said, the federal government is like a baby. A voracious appetite on one end and no sense of responsibility on the other. That's it. That's it. And uh, Babylon was no different. Babylon was no different in all of this type of thing. Um, number four, they kill or destroy any threat to their power. Boy, does that describe the world that we're living in? If you don't toe the line, if you don't believe what they say you're supposed to believe in all of their wisdom and tolerance, they will wipe you out if they possibly can. And it says in verse 18, And the captain of the guard took uh, uh, Sariah, uh, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the second priest, and uh, the three doorkeepers. And he also took out of the city an officer who had charge of the men of war, five men of the king's close associates who were found in the city. They were evidently hiding. And the chief recruiting officer of the army who had mustered the people of the land and 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the city. So, the guy whose name is very hard to pronounce, the captain of the guard, so that we're clear, took these and brought them to the king of Babylon at uh, Riblah. Then the king of Babylon struck them and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. When you think about this, doesn't that sound like what we hear today called politics of personal destruction? We think about uh, how death, we live in a culture of death. Think about the rise in the murder rate. Think about uh, the drug abuse and the deaths that come from that. Think about all of these things that are killing our people. Add to this the uh, uh, abortion rate. And I know that what the Supreme Court did. You know all that's done though? It's made states like California and New York double down on everything. To where in California they're trying to get it passed to where you can have a... You ready for this? A birthday abortion. Happy birthday to you. Die. Can you imagine... And it's almost like every time we take a step forward toward morality, they can find 20 different ways to take us back. And it's an amazing, amazing world that we live in and that culture of death. And so they're not backing down on all of this, but they're promoting all of it up to the day of birth. It's a sad thing. The transgender movement is not bringing happiness to people who say, I'm a... Uh, a woman trapped in a man's body. If I can just be a woman, I'll be happy. They're committing suicide at very high rates. And it's very disappointing to them because that is not the way to happiness. We find that nations, denominations, drug cartels, and even our families tend to experience this same pattern that we were talking about. You've seen 
families go down this track. We've seen liberal denominations go down this track. We've seen nations go down this track because there's nothing new under the sun. So I just kind of close by saying that we need to pray. We need to stay informed. We need to be sure that we vote. We need to make sure we are doing good works and that we are light in the midst of darkness. We need to make sure that we love God, that we love people like Jesus commanded us that we are discipling our family and that we're sharing the gospel and we're doing it from a pure heart and a holy life. Second Chronicles 36:16 when it talks about this time and all the prophets and all the preachers that spoke to Israel and Judah and it says but they mocked the messengers of God despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of God arose against his people till there was no remedy. And that's why this morning I, when I preached, I said, here's what we need to pray for. Lord, bring us together. Because if we don't stand together as believers, we're, we're toast. We need to increase our love. Our love for God and our love for people and our love for one another. We're going to need it. We need to make our hearts stable and pure by setting our heart on the word of God and on the sovereignty of God we've got to have stability and quit hitting the panic button over everything and we've got to make sure that we have pure hearts and only the blood of Christ can cleanse us from that and then we've got to set our sights on finishing well as Jesus said to a church in Revelation be faithful unto death well, that's an encouraging word, isn't it? <laughs> encouraging or not, you've got to admit, there's a lot of truth to it. And so much of what we find in the Bible is not exactly applicable, but boy, in principle, it follows the same picture and the same problems. And yet we have the Word of God, so we know, we know about this. May God grant us to be salt and light at a time when our nation and our culture are in desperate need of both. And that's why we are here. So can we close in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, as best we know how, we want to report for duty. And we want to be counted. We don't want to be like the cowards that we read about in this chapter who ran when the enemy showed up. We want to really, really stand strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. But we're weak and we're frail and we're sinful. And oh Lord, we need you to have mercy on us and do a work in us to strengthen us. We're not here saying that we want to be mean. We're not here saying we want to overthrow the government. We're not here saying we want to hurt anybody or attack anybody. That's not the way we operate. We want to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God and for the good of people around us to give them good news. The good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as payment for sin. And so, Lord, we want to ask you, open up our eyes, stir our hearts, draw us to you. And we do pray, Lord, that you would draw us together, that you would fill us and let us overflow with love, as we said this morning, that our hearts would be stable and they would also be holy because we're set on you and that we would indeed finish well. And we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.